0: Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. Excellent singing. I love that last song. It's an old hymn, but the truth is so uh, true to us today. That we are complete in Christ. Luke chapter eight. Where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter eight. We have been studying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the last four weeks, we have expressed the gospel in four simple and yet profound words. The first word was God. I talked about that a few weeks ago. God is love. God, Everything about God is love. But yet, at the same time, God is righteous, meaning that everything God does is right. And because God is always right, and because God is just, what is just? Just means that God will always always punish rightly. He will always treat us Fairly, and because God is righteous and just, God must punish sin. The second uh, word we looked at was man. We looked at that two weeks ago. In simple summary, man is sin. Every single man and woman and child who has ever lived sinned, and so God, because God must judge sin, because He is right and just, and we are sinner, that creates a problem. God loves us, and yet he cannot let sin go unpunished. He can't. And so that leads to the third word that Pastor Nate preached last week an excellent job on talking about Christ. And he used the word last week, propitiation, that Christ is the perfect substitute for sinful man's destined punishment. That even though he was the sinless son of God, yet God sent the lamb of God to die for the sins of all mankind so that in God's righteousness and justice, that punishment can be placed on Jesus Christ in our place. So this is the the essence of the gospel. Every day, the gospel of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is proclaimed to millions around the world. Some hear it in a church sanctuary like you are today. Some hear it on the radio or television. Some read it in a book or a magazine, but some maybe hear it from a friend. But here's, here's the thing. Everyone hears the same message of the gospel, but not everyone responds the same way. In fact, many respond in different ways. And this leads us to the final word that we're going to talk about, and I believe it's very appropriate to talk about on today today. And that is the, the, the word is response. See, what is today? Today is Palm Sunday. And even though this is not a traditional Palm Sunday message that I'm going to preach, I think it's very appropriate because on Palm Sunday, what happened? The people of Jerusalem were, were responding to Jesus by worshiping Him. And as He came in, as He entered in, and they worshiped Him and they praised Him, the problem was that they were worshiping Him for the wrong reasons. And though they responded with worship... They were actually responding by rejecting him. Why? Because they thought he was going to rescue them from Rome, but really he was just trying to rescue them from their sins. They thought he was going to lead them in an attack against Rome, and yet he was going to die for them. And they missed the whole part of Jesus coming to earth to die. Not at the hands of an angry mob or of religious leaders or even the Romans. He would die so that he could give and he would do it voluntarily so that he could give every person who ever lived the opportunity to be free from the sin that condemns them to death. And this is the gospel that demands a response. And we've been saying all along that the gospel demands a response whether you think it or not. And Not everyone responds the same way. Why is it that two people can, can go to the same church, hear the same message, yet have different responses? Why is it that one life is transformed when they hear the gospel and the other one is barely moved? Why do some turn from their sins and others continue on indifferently? Jesus addresses that issue in this parable that we're going to look at, a familiar parable, but a parable we're going to look at this morning, this parable called the parable of the sower. You'll find this parable listed and uh, mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at the passage in Luke here today. Uh, the parable of the sower in, in Jesus' time would have been one in that farming community that would have, would have spoke very clearly and loudly to them. They would have understood the concept of what is being said. So let's go ahead and read the passage together, starting in Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read down to verse 15, and you can follow along as I read. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in a honest and good hearts and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us as we look at this passage. Every single person in this room falls into one of these four soils. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to be honest. pray that you'll help them to be real with themselves and with you. Lord, And I pray that they will respond in a way that is proper Lord, give me the words to say as I speak, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Some of the parables that Jesus told uh, really made you wonder at the correct interpretation. Actually, he says that in this passage. He says, I tell parables so that those that want to know, know, and those that don't, they don't get it. But he says here specifically, though, he gives us the correct interpretation. This one is a little different. He tells us here is the meaning of this parable. I want you to know for the disciples and for us what it is. And this parable raises two questions that we're going to talk about. First of all, uh, why do people respond differently to the gospel message? And secondly, why is this information so important to us? So, first of all, we want to look at what are the responses to the gospel. Now, ultimately, the Bible tells us that there are two different responses to the gospel. And Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30 when he says, uh, whoever is not with me is against me. And there's two options there. Either you're, you're with God or you're against God. Either you choose the gospel or you don't choose the gospel. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't. But here in this text, however, he expands on the responses and he, and he lists four different kinds of responses that people give to the gospel. And they correspond with four different types of soil. So let's look at the story. First of all, I want you to note in verse, just so you have an understanding, in verse 11, it very clearly says that the seed that's being talked about is the word of God. Now, a farmer would go out, and they didn't have the equipment we have today, and so they can't spread it with a machine. They would spread it by hand, and they would go out, and they would have cultivated the soil, but uh, they would toss the, the seed as it went out, and sometimes it would land in places that were good, and sometimes it would land in places that weren't. But here we're talking about that seed that's being tossed is the word of God. And how does it respond? The soil is people. And how do those people respond? Well, there's four different response. First of all, as the hardened heart rejects the gospel, look again at verse 5. It says, the sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Down in verse 12, he gives the explanation. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they uh, may not believe and be saved. The first kind of soil is one on hardened path. Now, Israel was a dry climate, is a dry climate. And so oftentimes these fields, they were divided up into narrow fields. And, and those fields were divided by Oftentimes it wouldn't just be you would farm your land. It would be there would be this big piece of land, and it was almost like a community farm. and And so there would be pathways between what was yours and what was someone else's. And so these paths over time would get beaten down as people would walk on them, and they were hard. You can understand that concept, that hard ground. I remember when I was in in high school, uh, I played soccer, and I was living in um, Minnesota at the time, and we played this team uh, in Minneapolis. It was uh, kind of an a inner-city school, and, uh, and so this field we played on was right in the heart of inner-city Minneapolis, okay? It wasn't the, um, the greatest place in the world to go. We got to the field, and I had never played there before. We got to the field, and it was a green field, very very lush green, which was surprising because of its location. But right through the center of the field, diagonal from one corner to another corner, right through the center, was a dirt path. We thought that was kind of odd. Everything was green around it, but this dirt path. And we were like, okay, that's weird. It wasn't long into the game when we realized what that was. And I was, I was um, on, on the side of the field, and I had to do a throw-in. If you know soccer, you do a throw-in over your head. And I did a throw-in, and as I did, I ran onto the field, and I ran into someone. And I turned, and I thought, that's odd. There was no one next to me. I ran into someone on the field that wasn't on either team. And it wasn't the official. It was a woman with her three kids walking through the middle of the field, during the game on that path she had somewhere to go and the easiest way to get there was not to go around the field it was to go through the middle of the field so she did that we thought it was pretty humorous I knocked her over I felt bad but she was in the middle of a soccer game you know I didn't know I didn't even know she was there after the game the coach and the other team came over and said here's the thing he says every year they come out and they try to plant grass on that but every year people continue to trample over that spot and no grass will grow That's the idea of this soil. The ground is so hard that the seed just lays there on top of the ground and and, and eventually the birds come in and the birds swoop in and they grab the seed and they eat it. And Jesus says, here's the interpretation of that, uh, there are some who hear the gospel, they hear the good news that, that God loves you, and because God loves you and God is righteous and you ha- are going to be judged, but, and you are a sinner, but God sent his son, they hear that good news, but they have no response because they're hard heart." They are closed to any insight and non-receptive to truth. You ever talk to someone like that? You begin to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and they don't want anything to do with it. They have figured out life and they aren't open to anyone pointing out to them any other direction because they know what they're doing and they know what they believe. They concluded that the gospel is, is irrelevant. It doesn't work. They don't want to hear. They have trained themselves to tune God out. They have a hard heart. Surprisingly, though, even these type of people could be found in in this room today. Maybe they attend worship to please a spouse. Or maybe you're here because your parents required of you. Or maybe you're here because you're trying to be involved to keep up the appearances in the community that you're a good person. Maybe you figure you log in time because just by chance there happens to be a heaven, then you'll get enough points to get there. But the reality is is the word of God has not penetrated your heart because your heart is hard. And your response is one of rejection. And these people have the seed of the word of God presented to them, but they aren't interested. They are merely logging their time And Satan takes the seed sown and sweeps it away so that it cannot penetrate their hearts. So we see the first one is the hardened hearts. That is one who rejects the gospel. The second one is the superficial hearer, temporarily receives the gospel. Look at verse 6 as we go back here and we see it says, In some... Excuse me, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. We see the interpretation down in verse 13 where it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. This is a seed that falls on rocks. You ever planted on a rock bed? What happens? Okay, you might get a little bit of growth. And sometimes it even grows faster. But then after time, man, the sun pounds on it. it doesn't have any water because there's no soil there, and so it eventually it, it dies and it fades away. That's, that's why you go to rocky climates, you don't see a lot of things growing. The seed finds enough nutrients to start to grow, but there is no water. Unlike the first group of people, these are people who receive the gospel. In fact, the Bible tells us with joy, with enthusiasm. Man, they hear the word of God, and they hear that Jesus loves them, and and that Jesus sent his son to die for them, and there's excitement. There's, yeah, that's great, I'm so glad to hear it, but their enthusiasm is short-lived when difficulty comes or when the novelty wears off. These people drift away. They have a conversion experience, and for a while these people seem confident and maybe even bold in their, in their um, explanation of the gospel. And then one day they lose interest and they drift away. The problem is sometimes it's not evident. They lose interest, but hey, they still got to play the game. Still got to put up appearances. I heard uh, um, an, an illustration about this um, one time. It was it was this. There was a drug uh, manufacturer who announced that they did a study, uh, and the results were were fantastic. It was a wonder drug for migraine headaches. If you have migraine headaches, I don't know what this one is, but it was a wonder drug. And the research showed that within an hour of taking this drug... Uh, the, there was a whopping 70% of the participants in this study found out that in, within an hour they had little or no pain. Now, as is the case with these drug studies, they bring in a group of people and, 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 and they, give, they give the drug to a group of people, but to another group that is unknowingly, they receive what's known as a placebo. What's a placebo? It's a sugar pill. There's no, there's no medicine value to it at all. And they said that the placebo effect showed that in, of those that received the placebo, they found 29% of them had the same results as the one who got the right medicine. Now this happens all the time in testing, and those in that group that take the real thing, great, but if it's not, this placebo pill it has no active ingredient, it's not real medicine, but this placebo effect is a real thing. Simply, it means that a certain percentage of people who take on a potential cure will show signs of improvement, even if they're not taking the real medicine. And though the placebo will will produce the benefit of the real medicine for a while, sooner or later the effect will wear off. Why? Because it's not a real cure. It's not the real thing. And it won't work forever. It's not a permanent solution. And a certain percentage of people who profess the name of Jesus Christ don't take the real medicine. They don't take the real cure for what ails them. It's not the real gospel. They don't place their faith in Jesus Christ. Instead, they place their faith in the idea of Jesus Christ. Or they place their faith in in the good works that they have done. Or they place their faith in their baptism or a, a prayer or walking down an aisle or whatever it is. They place their faith in that. They place their faith, and they can look at the front of their Bible, and it says, hey, on on this date, I became a Christian, and they place their faith in that, but it's, it's just a placebo. Their faith does not have any active ingredients. And like the placebo group, the seed that falls among the rocks, it shows some evidence of new life. It pops up just ever so small. And it may appear to have a genuine conversion, but it's not real. And in time, when trials get hard, and when life gets difficult, their faith will not really be there. We've talked about the last one, about how the hard heart rejects, but ultimately this superficial heart also is rejecting the gospel. The real gospel. Come to the third one. The distracted hearer ultimately misses the gospel look at verse 7 and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it we see the interpretation in verse 14 and as for what fell among the thorns they are those who hear but as they go on their way they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature this is seeds among thorns. What does that mean by that? Remember, I said earlier that they would cultivate the soil. They would turn the soil up, and, and this is soil that was cultivated. It was ready to accept, to receive the gospel, and, and it had everything necessary for productive fruit. It had good soil and all that. But the problem was is that in the cultivated soil, uh, with the seed, was seeds of weed. And as as it grew up, also did so did the weeds. And those weeds and the thorns, they surrounded it. You ever see that in, in your garden where you have a plant and, and a weed comes up and suffocates it and kills it. And that's the idea here. The third group of people are they're they're attracted to the gospel and but they never really take it seriously. They're distracted by other things that they never Respond to the truth uh, and respond in faith completely. I heard a story about a a young man who was proposing to a girl for marriage, and he said this He said, Darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. And he went on and he said, This, "I, I want you to marry me. I'm not rich, I don't have a yacht. I don't have a Rolls Royce. I don't have a big fancy house like Johnny Brown does, but I love you with all my heart. The young lady thought for a moment, and then she replied, I love you with all my heart too. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. <laughs> we laugh, but she had a divided heart. And a lot of times, we, people step out and they go, yeah. The message is attractive, yeah, I, I, I want that, yes, yes, I see that, but I also see that. Man, that looks good. The Bible talks about this in James when he said this, Let him who ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He, and then he goes on, he says, He's a double-minded, man. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. They receive the truth of God, but they are welcoming, competing truths as well. They don't really know what they believe. These people know they need spiritual life, but unwilling to fully commit to Christ. They love the message of the gospel, but they want to know more about Johnny Brown. They want to know more about what this world has to offer. And they sit there and they go, yeah, I really do want this, but I, I want that too. And Jesus tells us that these people eventually drift away because of the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for, for pleasure and things and life. And they, walk, they want to walk on the broad road of pleasures. But they also want to walk on the narrow road of life at the same time. And they want both. They want to pursue the things of the world, but they also want to pursue the things of God. And here's the thing. You can't have both. Look what it says in Matthew. No one can serve two masters. for You will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't do it. There's people that say, Yeah, I want to accept the gospel. Man, I believe it. Yeah, that. And But oof the pull over here is so strong and God tells us you cannot do both and if you come to the point in your life where you're you're being pulled apart because you want what's over here in the world but you want God here's the thing what's happening is if you are not careful what you are doing is you're actually rejecting the gospel i am not saying that the world is not a temptation I am not saying that if you are ever tempted by the world, you're unsaved. I am not saying that. But if if you find yourself being pulled in all the time by the cares of the world, then uh, what it's saying in this passage, look what it says again. It says uh, that that you are going your own way, and their fruit does not mature. And actually what it's saying is, is there is no fruit. What does Scripture say? By their fruit you shall know them. Jesus tells us that they will eventually drift away. So what is the fourth response that we can give? We see the responsive here gives evidence of the gospel. Look at verse 8. He says there, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Verse 15, he explains: As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in honest and good hearts and bear fruit with patience. The true believer is one that hears the truth and accepts it as true. They interact with the truth of God and they find it satisfying and good. They receive the message of the gospel and they apply it to their lives. These are people that recognize themselves as real sinners, as, as, as corrupt people, as definitely on the path, as we talked about a few weeks ago, on the path of God's judgment. That God's judgment is coming and it's coming fast. And, and they're staying there and they know, I am in trouble. But they also understand that because God loves them, he sent Jesus Christ. And these people get it. They know that the only way that they can escape this punishment is by the grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. And they throw themselves at the mercy of God and they vow to serve him. And these are people who come to Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And the evidence of this kind of commitment is a transformed life, is a changed life. These people bear fruit. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 6. It says, but now that you have been set free from the sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life. He says, here's the thing. Here's the people who now truly have believed the gospel. And what does it lead to? Notice what it says. What is the fruit? What is the evidence? Sanctification. Say, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a big word that means set apart. It's the same idea of being holy. It leads to a holy life. It leads to a transformed life. In other words, the person who has received the seed of the word of God and and is beginning to grow, what's going to happen is their life is going to be transformed. And the evidence of that is Christ-like character. The evidence of that is a spirit-filled life. And what does a spirit-filled life look like? Galatians tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here's, here's the amazing part, as you begin to allow God to work through your life, and as God changes you, these things become evidence in your life, and it's not you. It's the work of the Spirit. You ever have that? aha moment where you realize that you just love someone and it wasn't because of you i have where where someone does something and they do something and it hurts you and and then and suddenly something inside of you says you know what i got to love that person and i've had battles with myself going well, i don't want to love that person okay they're mean they're nasty they're hurtful i don't want to love them and yet the spirit says no you got to love them. and you go okay and that, that evidence of, that, of your salvation and evidence of a, a person who has received the soil is that you're living like a Christ-filled person and you're living with love. Do you have joy in your life? Are you the person that is always gloomy? You're always down and you don't have the joy of God in your life. It's not joy that comes by circumstances. It's joy that comes from internal, the Spirit of God working in your life. Do you have peace or you're always in turmoil? You have patience. This is not saying that we don't ever fail in these things because we do. But man, you find yourself, as you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life, you find yourself having patience that you know is not from you. Because by nature, you're not a patient person. You're kind. Some people are not naturally kind people, but as the Spirit of God works in their life, they'll find themselves doing kind deeds. Goodness. They're good, not good in the sense that they're uh, perfect, good in the sense that they do good actions for others. Faithfulness, they're consistent in their walk with God, not because someone uh, is pushing them to do it, because the Spirit of God is, is, is asking them and is driving them to do it. Gentleness, they're not a harsh person. They're gracious and kind self-control they don't just do whatever they want see a person who is a receptive hearer who has accepted the the seed of the word of god and understands that they are doomed without christ and and completely gives their life over to god in faith will begin to evidence these things because the spirit of god is working through them they show their faith by their changed life and their eagerness to honor God and share the gospel with others. These people are used by God to turn darkness into life. They make an impact by their compassion and they turn heads with their consistency. These people are ones who are represented by the good soil that may not sprout as fast as the one that went on the rocks. It may take a time. It may grow slowly. And you know, thank, thank goodness that God allows us to grow slowly. What does it say in Philippians? He that began the work will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, and for some, man, you got a long time until that's going to happen. And so God's going to continue to grow you as you allow God to work in your life. But we keep growing. It doesn't matter your age in here. You could be be 15 or you could be 85. You should be seeing signs of growth in your life. That you are. Changing to become more like Christ each and every day. These people ask questions because they hunger to understand the Word of God and they hunger to grow. Their faith is real and a fruit comes from their lives. They change slowly, but they change. A true believer is committed. Their commitment is not just a flash in a pan, but it's something that endures over the test of time. Jesus tells us that these are four soils, but ultimately there are only two responses. Either you accept or reject. The first three we looked at ultimately rejected. And maybe they they liked some aspects of it, and so they they clung to it in some way, but ultimately they were saying, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, and and I'm going to try to do it my own way. God says the only way it's possible is if you let God do it all. Because whether a person is a hard hearer, a superficial hearer, a distracted hearer, they are all choosing something other than Christ. Therefore, they are choosing to reject the gospel. In the last few moments, I want to look at what are, what are some implications from the response to the gospel. Two things quickly I want to look at. First of all, we are responsible to understand the gospel. There are many people who start out enthusiastic in their faith, but their faith is superficial and pretend. Maybe they have recited a prayer. Maybe they have walked down an aisle. Maybe they've received baptism. Maybe they even joined a church, but they are only responding superficially, and they're not truly reborn. They're not genuinely believers. I'm not sharing this message to scare you. I'm sharing this message because I believe that, that God's word demands that we respond. And our goal is not just to make a decision. Our goal is to become disciples. We looked a few weeks ago at the passage in Matthew, and we talked about our, our, our focus for this year, and it says in Matthew that you were to go and make disciples. It does not say go and, and make you know, salvation decisions. Go and make disciples. That is what God wants. And there's a huge difference between a, between a decision for salvation and a disciple of Jesus Christ. When we see someone who, who professed faith suddenly walk away from the faith, I don't believe that they lost their salvation. Most of the time, they never really belonged with Christ in the first place. Now, I do p- believe that people can wander from their faith and still be a Christian but they're going to be under tremendous conviction the entire time. When these people drift away, it is often because they they were affirming a shallow gospel. They believed on the surface. And I'm not suggesting we go around and call everyone unbelievers because they're not living for God. I'm not suggesting that you not celebrate when a person is willing to declare their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting that at all, but we do need to uh, caution ourselves sometimes. When a person tells us that they believe in God, make sure that they understand what they believe about God. I've said this before, but the Bible tells us that even the demons believe in God and tremble. When a person confesses that they understand the gospel, find out what they mean by those words. Do they mean that they they go to church that they affirm Christianity. A uh, n- couple years ago, I was counseling a couple who, who uh, not from our church, but who had, had came in off, off the street to talk to a pastor, and I counseled them for a few weeks on, on their relationship. Uh, and uh, I, I asked early on, I said, I want you to tell me about how you know you're a Christian. And the, the gentleman looked at him, and he said, man, he goes, I've, I've been in church since I was three how do you know that you're a Christian? That's not an answer. He said, well, I believe God. I believe there's a God. Said, how do you know you're a Christian? That's not the answer. And he couldn't give me a straightforward answer. He shared the gospel and he felt, oh, you know, yeah, I, I believe that. But there was no evidence of it in his life. Do they mean that they go to church and affirm Christianity? Or do they mean that they have given their heart to God and they understand that their only hope is Jesus Christ? When a person says that they want to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, find out why. Do they want to be like others they admire? Or are they making an emotional decision? I'm not saying emotions aren't a part of it. Are they hoping to uh, escape some difficulty? Are they trying to obtain uh, fire insurance to escape from hell? Or do they understand that God's wrath? Do they understand their sinfulness and hopelessness without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? We are responsible to understand the gospel. Secondly, we are responsible to share the gospel. This parable raises some valuable and probing questions about our attempt to share the gospel with others. It reminds us of a few things. I'm going to give you three quickly here, and I don't have those in your notes, sorry. But, the first one is, <coughs> excuse me, we must not get discouraged just because everyone does not respond to the message. He describes four different types of soils, and three of those do not really respond to the message. And so that we we understand that there are, there are three out of four don't. I'm not saying that's a statistical fact. I'm saying that's what Scripture gives us here as what it there is. In the parable, three of the four were ultimately unresponsive, and our job is not to figure out who is responsive and who is not. Our job is to scatter the seed persistently, consistently, and faithfully. Our job is to pray and to water the seed and to continue to share the word of God, but God is the one that prepares the soil. God is the one that does that, and so we should not get discouraged if people do not respond. Secondly, we need to remember the importance of the seed. The sower cannot accomplish anything without the seed. And what is the seed? We looked at that. The seed is what? The Word of God. Our methods are less important than our message. As I hear about those who have come out of false religions, such as Islam or or Mormonism, what I find interesting is that the consistent theme as I talk to and I hear about people like that, the consistent theme is they were exposed to over and over again the Gospel, the Word of God, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the reading of the Bible that when they read the Bible, they saw the error of what they had been taught. Our job is not how we share it. Our job is that we proclaim the truth of the scriptures, that we tell people what Jesus did for them, that we tell people what God expects of them, and we tell people what is going to happen to them if they do not believe in Jesus Christ, that we share the word because it is God's word alone that can soften the soil and that could work in a life. Thirdly, we need to evaluate our, our approach sometimes of evangelism. I read um, this in a commentary by a man named um, Arthur Pink. He wrote this 75 years ago, um, but I think it can be a caution for us today. He said, today, much connected with our evangelistic effort is calculated to produce just this very type of superficial hearer The bright singing, the sentimentality of the hymns, the preacher's appeals to the emotions, the demand of a church for visible and quick results produce nothing but superficial returns. Sinners are urged to make a prompt decision, are rushed to repentance, and then assured that all is well with them. And the poor, deluded souls leave with a false and fleeting joy. And the deplorable, the deplorable thing is that many of God's own people are supporting this type of gospel ministry. Now, I believe those are tough words, and I think they're fairly accurate, not completely, but they're fairly accurate in the sense that I think if we're not careful, we can, we can push our own thoughts on people and not allow the word of God to work in someone's lives. In desire to get decisions for Christ, often we are guilty of manipulating and watering down God tells his people the gospel is something that costs. The gospel is something remember, remember the story of the rich young ruler He came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, uh, uh, "What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" He says, "Well, what do you think?" This is why I've kept all the commandments since my childhood. I've done all that. I've I've, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. I've I've lived in a way that was pleasing to God. Jesus looked at him and said, "Go and sell everything you have and follow me." Remember the rich young ruler? It says that he he bowed his head and he walked away discouraged. It is not that we cannot accept Jesus, you know, instantaneously on the spot. It is that sometimes we we give across the idea that if we just say this prayer, everything will be okay. But Jesus said, I want you to count the costs. I want you to understand that a commitment to me is a big decision. When people say all you need to do is walk down the aisle or raise a hand or say a prayer, but Jesus asks for surrender. He asks us to surrender our attempts, first of all, to save ourselves. It's not about what I do. It's about yielding my life completely to God. And can you do that instantaneously? Yes. But the evidence of that is a life lived surrendered to God. He asks us to follow him, to trust him, to rely on him, and we must focus less on decisions and more on discipleship. Jesus told his followers that they needed to carefully think about the commitment he was calling them to make. And when we do that, we realize that it impacts the way that we share the gospel. As we close, I want to give two simple appeals this morning. First one is, how are you responding to the gospel? How are you responding to the fact that God, perfect and holy and sinless God, cannot look on sin? Because he is righteous and because he is just, he must judge sin. That does not make him any less unloving. Or or any less loving, I should say. It means he loves us. But he loves us so much that even though he knows every single person is a sinner, he said, I am going to give my son as a propitiation, as a sacrifice, as a substitute. And by faith, you believe what Jesus Christ has done, you shall be saved. Then he tells us in this passage, the evidence of that, the evidence of true faith is that you bear fruit. So the first question is how are we responding to the gospel? The second question, if you are a good soil and you have understood the gospel and you've responded to the gospel, are you, are you spreading the seed of the word in your world? Are you sharing the gospel with those around you? Are you, are you casting the seed? We have a responsibility to do that as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text. and Lord, as we look at this text, we're, we're caused to evaluate our own lives. and to ask ourselves, Lord, are we cultivated soil? Have we accepted the new good news of Jesus Christ and are we uh, are we surrendered to you and living for you? We understand Lord that salvation doesn't require us to be perfect salvation does require that we give our life to you in pursuit of perfection and holiness and Lord I pray that you'll help us to respond to the gospel the way we should. And Lord, for those in here who have responded properly to the gospel, Lord, I pray that you will uh, help them to be ones who are readily and willingly and constantly casting the seed of the word of God to those around them. Again, Lord, we are not responsible for the soil that is your job. Lord, it is our responsibility to share the good news with Jesus Christ. Lord, we wait in anticipation for what you are going to do as we do what you ask us to do. We thank you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.